Welcome. This is Corinne Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. All right. So, this is part three of a four part celebration of 15 years of How She Really Does It. The irony is that I am not a person that really does a whole lot of celebrating, so I'm totally outside of my comfort zone. But I thought about 15 years and there were things that I wanted to share and people I wanted to bring on. And so I'm bringing back an old favorite of yours, my good friend, Michelle Woodward. She's an executive coach, a CEO whisperer, and she's going to come back and we're going to celebrate. She was a guest co-host and had been on my show previously before that. I've had her on since after. Very good friend of mine, very wise and I am just looking forward to talking with her and celebrating 15 years and celebrating you all. I'll circle back with you afterwards. Michelle Woodward, thank you for saying yes to being on a guest on my show and celebrating 15 years of how she really does it with me. My rule of thumb is whenever you ask me anything, I say yes, 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 and yes again. Oh, that is so fantastic. So just this week, we've been rebroadcasting on Wednesdays. We call them Wisdom Wednesdays because I have over 800 shows. And so we rebroadcast former shows and the ones with you are very popular. And I just was just this week, somebody said to me, oh my gosh, I was just listening to you and Michelle. And I'm like, oh no, what did we talk about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know when we started. When, when was our first one? Do you remember? I mean, I feel like, first of all, I feel like I've known you forever. I mean, really forever. So I can't even remember when we started the first one. So, well, because we came on in different waves and I was trying to figure that out on my website. I probably interviewed you with your book, probably because I met you in 2009. So probably 2009, 2010. Wow. And then you were my guest where I did my last radio broadcast because we had technical problems, much like today. <laughs> and I had to go from the studio to come into my office studio. I remember that. And that was the transition. I did that with you. And I thought, I can just do this from home. And then I would ship the podcast to the station. And now I don't do anything with the station. But so and then you were a guest co-host probably 2014, where we did several together. That was so fun. That was a lot of fun. And I know the listeners really loved it. And you also helped me celebrate eight years. Yes, I remember that was so, that was terrific. And now I can't believe you just kept going. I can't believe I kept going 15 years. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, You know, my favorite memory, it's not actually of an interview that we did, but when you told me that I think it was Brene Brown was either under a bed or in a closet or both mm-hmm. when you did an interview with her when she was sort of just getting started. Mm-hmm. What was that story? After her TEDx before she is currently, you know, has much more of a household name. And I was very interested in interviewing her because I was fascinated with the fact that she is 30 and graduated from college. And in the world of academia, like it's such a very 
you know, they talk about growth mindset, but there's a very fixed mindset about the path to becoming an academic, right? And so I was really fascinated with that. So anyways, we get on, or no, I'm waiting in the studio because it's live radio. So everybody knows, like my listeners knows, I'm going to come interview her. It's live. Everybody's waiting for it. There's a live stream. And I'm waiting in the studio 10 minutes before. There's no phone call into the studio. And only probably six months before that, I used to always call my guests because I wanted that control. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting. Finally, I call her on her cell phone and she's like, oh, I have contractors here. I'm not really good with the schedule. Can we like wait like 10 minutes? And I'm like, it's live radio. (laughs) (laughs) So the answer would be no, that won't work. And that would mean me talking for 10 minutes. And back then I didn't talk for 10 minutes by myself. So she's like, okay, let me see what I can do. And so she does it and we get on the air And I was so flustered and nervous and discombobulated that I forgot to turn on my mic. So when we first were talking, it was, we had dead air for two minutes. The listeners are freaking out, like all the stuff is happening. So anyways, after the show, she and I talked for about 45 minutes because we really connected and we were talking about swimming and so many other things. And then that's when she told me, she goes, yes, I was in my car. And I knew, actually, I knew that going in. She's like, okay, I'm calling from my car on my cell phone, which like broke all the rules because audio quality isn't good. And we didn't do cell phones, but her and there was another guest. He was on the Brooklyn Bridge stuck in traffic. I've done twice. And then she said, I was underneath my daughter's bed. She was in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's how we really do it. <laughs> that's that's how she really does it. That ladies and gentlemen, that's how she really does it. So when you look back, I know this is your podcast, but I'm going to ask you this question. When you look back on what you did when you started versus how you're doing things now, what do you how do you see the growth, the change? <laughs> My immediate thought is I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> And the immediate change is I'm really calm about any of the technology stuff, right? Like we had issues. So now I'm on a totally different platform than even a few years ago on how we record it. And my podcasting producer's like, no, we have to use this, not Zoom. And every week when I have a guest, there's always an issue for my guest to get on, just like you and I. And I, I just don't worry about it. I'm like, of course there is. And much like when I coach clients all week long on Zoom, you know, audios don't work. There's always something in the transition. I can be on a call and go to the next call and all of a sudden my AirPods are disconnected, right? So I'm very agile with it, just like I am here. And I also realized today after talking with you, I need to talk to him about what can we do to help support the guests so there's less issues, right? Because I don't know why there's issues right now. But so technically, way better at it. The other thing I do is much more have a team to support me where in the past I used to, you know, think I should do it all myself. Mm -hmm. Think content wise, has it changed or evolved? Yeah, the content. Thanks for asking that. So when I first started, my goal was I wanted guests who would fill live air so they would talk and I would sit there and I'd listen. And I I felt really good about that. Like I would, I know how to ask questions and really connect with the guests. When I asked you, and I think you were my first guest co-host. When I asked you to do it, I was at that point wanting to quit the show because I thought, what else can I do? Like, how many more people can I interview and talk about their version? And I think my own authority was coming out. Like, I had something to say. And I was tired of constantly re, like, creating connection 
in an hour, even though back then that was such a long format. Now it's much more common, but back then that was very different. So having the guest co-host where you come on for, you know, I had guest co-hosts from six to nine episodes where it's nice because we talk about a topic, right? We didn't have to, you know, do a book review or something. So that changed, you know, I talk a lot about owning your voice and I had stuff to say and I wanted to get on and speak. And so I went into some monologues and I did that for a period of time. Now I have different things, right? Like I'll do monologues, I'll have guests come on, I'll have, so now it's, it's, it's kind of like all of those different skill sets at a time, right? Versus I was very like, no, this is the one way I'm going to do it. Then I was like, made a major decision. This is the way. So does that answer your question? Yes, you've peaked and you're sustaining the peak. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations on that. And I want to talk about, because I mean, you've, you know, podcasting is really sexy, right? There's every day, there's a new podcast that comes out. And with anything, I think it's like, oh, let's go and do this. And I'm also really proud, like when I think 15 years, 15 years. And then when I think about people like you who are willing to come and be on my show time and time again, and who be a yes, right? Like that is really special for our listeners. So I really want to thank you because this show would, you know, it's been able to continue on because I've had you come on and I've had lots of guests who are willing to say yes. So, and I've had listeners that find the content really valuable. I mean, again, the one that we, somebody emailed me about was raising authentic children that you and I had done. And there were such great nuggets, right? Right. Probably not, I don't know, 2014. What is that? Seven years? Yes. Yes. Isn't that cool? Yeah. You know, and I can't tell you the number of people who've written to me or have called me or, you know, run into me somewhere and say, boy, I heard you on that podcast. That's so great. The two of you are just so great. And that's very warm and fuzzy, you know, to have that kind of feedback from people. I get that a lot about you as being on the show. It's like, oh, I love the two of you together, right? I guess we bring good energy together. <laughs> yes. It just means we have to, you know, find a time to get together. That yeah. would be, I'll fly west or you fly east or we'll meet in Indiana or somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, when I was going through the topics, seriously, I, when I was looking through to see like, what did we talk about? We have talked about everything, work, family, friendships, you know, and there's so many in here. I'm like, Michelle, I need to go back and listen to some of this. I could probably <laughs> learn something. Yeah. I mean, it's funny to listen to, I went through a little phase where I listened to a lot of them and there are such good nuggets in them. There's just mm-hmm. such good information. And plus I think the spontaneity you know, two open hearts and two open minds is really, it's, you can't, you can't match it anywhere. I think that's what's made him so great. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes people would say to me, like, they felt like they were listening in on our coffee talks, right? Well, which what they were. (laughs) I made sure I filled up right before we got on. (laughs) And the other thing is, is that like, we have a front row seat to like human behavior, right? Because of the people that we work with day in and day out. So, you know, I, I notice, and I don't know about you, but I just notice themes that just keep coming up, you know, over a week, over a quarter. And sometimes that's when I get really compelled to like, oh, this is something that it would be beneficial for more people to hear about. Yeah. When I used to write my blog, that's how I did it, right? Is I I noticed the themes coming up with my coaching clients and then I would like, ooh, I guess that's a hot button that's going on right now. And I'd try to figure out something to address it. 
you know, one of the things I think that's so beneficial is it's that common humanity piece. Like, oh, I'm not the only person. Right. I'm not alone in, in this suffering or this uncertainty or whatever is going on. I think that's one of the brilliant things about coaching, actually. I become more and more aware that a lot of my clients have nobody else to sort of lay out the thing that is really, really troubling them. They may have a partner, but there's some risk at saying to the partner, I'm not sure I'm in the right job. Or they can't say it to their parents. They can't say it to their best friend. And so that's one thing that a coach can do is just greet whatever that is and then move on with it. Like not not brush it under the rug, but just accept it and examine it and then see if there's somewhere to go. And I, I find that especially my male clients really appreciate having, you know, I, and I always say I don't have a dog in the hunt. I don't really care. Like mm-hmm. on one level, I care. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But on one level, I really don't care what they do mm-hmm. as long as whatever they do, they feel like they have conviction around. That's all I want. It's that you're not attached to their outcome. You're not dependent on their outcome, right? I'm like, not even attached to my own damn outcome, <laughs> to be honest with you. How does that feel? It's awesome. It's free. I mean, it's just so free. It's just like living life as an experiment, right? Is like that worked. Great. I'll do that more. That worked. That didn't work. Hmm. What could work better? Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of fun. I'm sure. Are you there? I am there. And when you're talking about that, I'm thinking about it. That, that's an example of a growth mindset, right? Go out there, try stuff, be curious. It's not about being attached. And when you first knew me, you know, so much of my worth was attached to those outcomes. Did I get it? Right. Did I not? And really, when you get on the other side of this and realize, it's not about your worth. Is Does it work? Do you like it? Does it fit within how you define success? Right. Exactly. That's all that really matters. Like I always think of coaching as I'm putting on glasses on my clients so they can start to see clearly their life. Like mm-hmm. I'm not putting it on, but like coaching is like glasses, right? There's like, instead of like, here's how you're supposed to live. Here's how you're supposed to be, right? All the cultural programming that happens, whether it's from family of origin you know, whatever society expectations, but here's clearly what's going on. And then you get to choose. Yeah. I always say that I remind my clients who they are. And and so the, you know, the first coaching session, they do some Mm pre-work, which are all sort of strengths, values, priorities, and temperament. Mm -hmm. And we debrief on that and it never fails that they say, I completely forgot that about myself. I forgot that I'm an introvert. I forgot that I really have a good gut, you know, good gut feeling about things. And so I feel like sometimes my job is to remind them who they are. And then once they know, they remember who they are, they figure out who they are, then the decisions just become so easy Mm -hmm. because they're doing them in congruence with their values, with their strengths, with their priorities. And that's a beautiful thing to see. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think my job as a coach is not to have a client for the rest of my life. My goal is for them to learn how to think for themselves in their own way so that life becomes easier and work becomes easier and relationships become easier. I mean, you know, I mostly do executive coaching, so it's mostly around the workplace, but everybody's got something. Mm -hmm. You're right. Everybody does have something. And I don't want my clients dependent on me, but, and I don't, I look at it as I'm their partner, right? Without being attached to their outcomes. So 
I can help them, you know, get clear again, what, what's important to them, not what's important to anybody else. And it's not about what's important to me. Right. Because right. sometimes I say to myself, what's the race that I'm in? Right. Like, cause I always think I always go back to swimming. So like, what's the race that I'm in when I start to notice myself get competitive, right? Those old fires get fueled and go, but wait a second. Is that what I want to do? Is that in line yeah. with my values? Is that in line with my strengths, my priorities? Yeah, I do have one client I've worked with since 2009, I will admit that. But it's really, it's a very, I think it's a really wonderful partnership because I'm able to say, how is this thing like that thing that happened Mm -hmm. before? Mm -hmm. And I don't think there are very many people in this person's life who can say, how about that time that that thing happened? Is that like this? And either they say no or they say yes. They say, oh my gosh, you're exactly right. So I would say that would be my longest term client. But and then I'm I'm so lucky because people come back. Mm-hmm. And I love when they come back because it's kind of like, you know, come here, come here, come here and tell me everything. Sit by me and tell me, you know, what's going on in your life. So I feel 17 years doing this work, which is crazy. It's like 15 years having a podcast, mm-hmm. 17 years doing this work. I feel so grateful every day that I get to do it and that people keep showing up. Mm -hmm. When you talk about, I love when clients end and then they come back, right? Because we're not, you're not starting from ground zero, you know, a lot. And it's, my clients always find that so valuable, right? And Mm -hmm. then what you're talking about, because sometimes they'll go down, they'll get really fixed about something. And I'll say that to them too. Like, how about this situation? And they'll forgotten that, whether it was a success that they had or something that they had overcome, right? And they're like, oh, or an old pattern. And often, how often do we really have somebody who will be truly clear with us and talk about the hard stuff? Exactly. Or raise the thing that nobody else would ever raise with them. Yesterday, I'm doing an organizational 360, which I know sounds like like root (laughs) canal for a lot of people, but basically trying to look at an entire organization and and what's happening with them right now. And one of the people said that the CEO got people's names confused Mm -hmm. and forgot who people were. And so I called the CEO and said, you got to stop that, (laughs) which is not very coachy. But I'm like, hey, Mm -hmm. look, you know, this is something that's actionable that you can do right now. Mm -hmm. You know, sit down with the the staff list. Mm-hmm. And think this through, you know, who are these people? Where do they live? Just even if you're bad with names and faces, try to remember something, mm-hmm. you know? And I love being able to help in that way. Well, because how many people can tell the CEO that? Yeah. I already got paid, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would imagine that your clients that come to you, they want you to tell them the truth. They don't want you to brush things yeah. under the rug. Yeah. And I'm a hundred percent referral now. So people come because other people tell them I do, I shoot straight. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a big difference, you know? Mm-hmm. Again, where can people go where they have a safe place, where they can unpack it without other people's opinions and where somebody can tell it like it is and shoot really straight, not in the sense of I'm going to take you down, but Here's a blind spot you may not see. Yeah. Well, this is what I said to the CEO. Let me staff you for five minutes. I'm going to I'm gonna staff you. Like, this is what good staff does for CEO. Hey, you've got spinach in your teeth, right? Mm-hmm. And that was basically the energy and the trust is there to be able to say, hey, look, here's a little thing that you can do 
that will go a long way. And I think, you know, there's a lot of hubbub in the coaching world these days, as you know, about like two tracks of coaching, right? There's this track that you and I are talking about Mm -hmm. of coaches being of service to their client and Mm -hmm. sort of being the people who don't direct and the people who don't, you know, say this is the right way, this is the wrong way, you know, just help the people come to understanding on their own. And then there's this other spur branch of coaching, which you know I can't stand. So I'm I have a bias. I can't stand. But it's almost like saying you're hiring me and my fabulousness and I'm going to tell you all the secrets to the world so that you can be just like me and just as fabulous. And I just think there's something that's so damaging about that, that you can't be yourself. You know, you can't be a size 24 woman. I mean, in my coaching practice, you can be a Mm -hmm. size 24 woman of color and have success and be successful on your own terms. And sometimes I worry about that other spur, that there's just this rush to conformity? Well, uh, yeah. Like when, as you're talking, I think of FOMO, fear of missing out. There's one way. and that, There's and that's, a secret. There's a key. You know, there are like five things you can do and then, you know, you'll have a fabulous life. <laughs> the five things, the seven steps. Yes. Right. That, yes. So I want to talk about transformation now that we're on this. Okay. Because you know, 15 years, I know what I've gone through in my own transformation and watching my clients. And it was so cool because I have this group for, and it's a year long group. I, I love the year long, right? Like love it. And it was so cool in yesterday's group for them to start to see, like they look back in the workbook of what they wrote in the very beginning and who they became. Like one of the members was like, oh my gosh, Right. And I could see those transformations and, and seeing how the group interacts and the safety and the connection that's there and how they can be vulnerable. And, you know, and we're connected via Zoom because we're not doing any in-person stuff right now, but, and they're all over the world anyways, but it was so beautiful to see that transformation. And there's such a myth. So you talk about, you know, the secrets or the steps it's, oh, go to this workshop for a weekend and you're going to come out transformed. <laughs> That's like saying, come to this workshop and you're going to come out speaking fluent Spanish, even if you never knew Spanish before. I mean, the true work of transformation is it can take time mm-hmm. and it takes an open heart and it takes an open mind and it takes reflection and practice and trying and failing. Or as Pam Slim would always say, testing and trying, you know, you just got to test it, try it, test it, try it. And over time, you realize, wow, I started here. Now I'm over here. I used to think this way. Now I think this way. This used to bother me. This used to really bother me. And now it's a non-issue. I mean, I love that for people. I love it for myself, Mm -hmm. but I love it for people. And that's the other thing is I think great coaches are engaged in their own transformation. Ooh, say more about that. So I think Really great coaches I know are constantly doing professional development. They're taking classes, they're learning, they're reading books, they're working on their own stuff, they're learning and growing, and they have that growth mindset. And it's not like I learned something, you know, in 1987 and now that's the thing that I teach. Mm -hmm. It's that, you know, they're constantly bringing in new thinking and new thoughts. 
they're listening to this podcast, they're listening to Brene's podcast and, you know, Adam Grant and all those people. Mm-hmm. And they're really working on their own transformation too. The really great coaches, I think, are constantly doing that. Do you, would you agree or? I totally would agree. I think you have to live it to give it, right? And I heard that before. (laughs) Is that from you? (laughs) No, it's not from me. (laughs) But yes, I think you have to live it to give it. I do all the stuff that I coach on. I have done the work, done it myself. I've helped clients implement it within themselves. And it doesn't work for everybody, right? Like, you know, in the coaching world, we talk about coaching tools. Like, so one tool may work for one client, but it may not work for the other. I mean, that's the idea of being a coach of knowing, okay, what else can I go to? Right. 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 Not that it's the me show, but I really live the work that I coach people on. Yeah, me too. You know, so when you think about 15 years, I'll think about 15 years. 15 years ago was what year? 2006. Thank you for doing the math because (laughs) I scored much higher on the verbal. Math, verbal was here, math was there. So 2006, that was the year I started my blog. I had just done the coach training in 2005. So I was very early in my coaching practice. I was scrambling a lot then. I mean, I feel like I, I think about the 2006, Michelle, it was, I was really scrambling a lot. And of course I had a, a 10 year old and a 13 year old at that time too. And they were, you know, that's, that's a tough age for, <laughs> you know, for kids. And so that scramble is pretty much gone. And that's an amazing transformation when you think about it, that kind of anxiety and the the kind of the, it's not now that I do hustle. I just do the right kind of hustle now. Mm-hmm. I don't do kind of like a willy nilly spasmodic hustle. So I think about that's a lot of change. How about for you in the last 15 years? What's your transformation been like? So 2006, I had a six-year-old and a four-year-old and a 16-year-old and a 19-year-old all living at home. Is that right? And trying to do it all. And there is so much more space in my life. I mean, I'm an empty nester, right? So COVID kind of delayed some stuff, but I'm I'm, and now an empty nester and getting comfortable with that space. And, you know, when 2006, I didn't have a coaching business. I'd started this radio show and it was the it didn't make any sense of why I did it. It was just something that I wanted to do really because I thought I was screwing up parenting. And then I created a business around it, right? And went into coaching and have built up this incredible business where I get to work with fantastic clients and who I'm really, really trusted in that partnership. And so I'm always so grateful for the people that I get to work with and support. So there's And I'm going to say this, 2021 has been the hardest year of my life. And you've seen me Mm -hmm. at another hard time in my life. Yes. 2021. And Michelle and I haven't talked, so she doesn't know what's going on, but so we'll talk off there, but Mm -hmm. it's been the hardest year of my life. And I can say going through that and things aren't all resolved, there is tremendous ease also in my life. And if I haven't done this work, I would be a shit show right now. Yeah. I think that's such a great point when you fully embrace transformation and you take the learning from it, then when the, when life offers you another opportunity to transform an external Mm -hmm. thing comes, you, you can go through it. It's not that it's not 
difficult and that you don't cry or be upset. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's not as like um, staggering necessarily or demobilizing as it might have been before. I feel that way too. You know, the other thing is I think my relationships are more real now. And I don't know if that's a an F part of getting older or I think it's actually that I know how to conduct an authentic, real relationship. I don't do superficial anymore, which is funny because I used to work in politics, which is all <laughs> superficial, right? But I don't do superficial anymore. I, I have no interest in having superficial small talk. I'm it's not, not exciting. It's not interesting. So I would say that my relationships are much more vital. And, you know, that is a lovely, that makes living mm -hmm. just so full. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that you brought up because I think so often, right, people think, oh, I've done this work and then now I'm going to be in the promised land. And I think probably 15 years ago, I really believe that just do this work. You'll finally be in the promised land. Then you won't have any problems. And there's always going to be, I mean, well, shoot, we had COVID, right? Who would have thought the world would stop? The entire world. Right. So I felt very prepared for that. But I remember in 2010 when I was going through my hard stuff, and I remember what you said to me, who are you when your back is up against the wall? I said that? Yes. I am so awesome. <laughs> How did you answer it? Because I, 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 I don't. I, you said it to me. I don't know if I answered it because I think I was stunned. But it's always hung there in the back of my head, right? Was that it when we were at my house for that event that we had the whole group? Do you remember we it, had our little it, circle? It was in that time period. I don't know if it was yeah. at your house or just on a call at one point. But I remember you said that. And then you had me read. I don't even remember who the author is. When bad things happen to good to people. To good people. That's Rabbi Harold Kushner. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. I need to go back and read it because I think I was in such shock at that point that I was looking for an answer and I couldn't get it. And I was like, why is bad things happening to me? I'm a good person, right? And here's right. the book. It would be interesting to go with the brain I have now to have this perspective. Yes. Yeah. But I, I think about that. And so, you know, in 2010, I spent a lot of time curled up on the floor crying or trying to figure out how to answer that question. And now it's like, okay, well, my back goes up against the wall. If it's for other people, like if bad things happen to other people, like you want me in your arena, like I'm great, right? Like I will overfunction to no degree. Yeah. And what I just realized yesterday is when do I underfunction when it's about me being in the arena, when it's my wow. hope and my dreams. Yeah. Right. Right. And and now I'm better because I have support and I'm willing to reach out, right? Versus thinking I had to go it alone. But that was so, even yesterday, having that own awareness of like, oh, this subtle yeah. difference. Yeah. Okay. Have I ever told you my Rabbi Harold Kushner story? No, tell me. So in 2004, I guess, I was separated and on the way to divorce and it was very horrible. And I read this book by Rabbi Harold Kushner called Living a Life That Matters. Mm -hmm. And I have the, I have it on my bookshelf and I could pull it out for you. And it has sticky notes sticking out of it and highlighted all through the the thing. And he basically talks about character, you know, and, and what is it that when you, you know, when you look back, what's going to be important. And I closed the book and I honestly sort of said, I hope someday I have the chance to tell him how important this book has been for me. This was like in April. 
So in June, it was a Thursday morning, I got a call from a friend of mine saying, remember how you said you'd help plan President Reagan's funeral? And I said, no, I, I actually don't remember saying anything about that. She said, well, you're in the plan. He's dying. You can't say anything. But once you hear he's died, call me and I'll tell you where the meeting is. And so he died on a Saturday afternoon. That evening, I was six o'clock. I was at a meeting with seven other people. They went around the room. They said, you're in charge of this. You're in charge of this. Michelle, you're in charge of all staffing and all ticketing. So there were probably 10,000 tickets that needed to go out in like two days. So anyway, we opened the office on Saturday. On Monday evening, the person organizing the whole thing said, oh my gosh, I forgot to invite the clergy. And we were old friends. And I said to him, oh, look, I have a little bit of time. Who can I call for you? He said, well, I'll call, he was a Catholic guy, I'll call the archbishop and the cardinal, and we'll have somebody else call the imam and the minister. Could you call the rabbi? I'm like, sure. Who's the rabbi? And he said, it's this Kushner guy. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, okay, Rabbi Harold Kushner? Yeah, Rabbi Harold Kushner. So I Googled, called his office. His secretary said, oh, he's traveling. I'll have him call you, right? So there was so much work to do, right? So my phone rang and I answered it and it was Rabbi Harold Kushner. And we talked and, and I said, you know, blah, blah, blah. I like kind of started to just spew. And he said, Michelle, are you inviting me to speak at the state funeral? I'm like, Yes, sir. Yes, I. Yes, I am. I forgot that part. I said, on behalf of Mrs. Reagan, will you please do a reading from Isaiah at the funeral on Friday? And he said, you know, that's my favorite passage of the Bible. And I said, well, I do know that, Rabbi. I'm, I'm a really big fan of yours. Should I gush now or should I gush later? <laughs> and he said, he said, I'm late for a plane. Can you gush later? I'm like, okay, sure. And he said, I'm in. You know, give give all the information to my assistant. So I did. So I told the guy, yeah, the rabbi's in. You know, here's his assistant. Send all the blah blah blah. And I didn't think about it again. I just thought, oh look, I wanted to say how important his work was. I got the opportunity to do that. Thursday night, the funeral's Friday. So all this had happened in one week. I get a little tap on the shoulder in the evening. And what are you doing tomorrow morning? I'm like, I am exhausted. I'm going to get my kids. We're going to come to the thing. And I'm just going to like not do any jobs, right? That was my goal, not any jobs. And they said, well, there's this rabbi that needs to be taken to the Today Show set and then inside the cathedral. Could you do that? I'm like, absolutely, I could. So at six o'clock, the car shows up from the Today Show, picks me up. We go pick him up. He and I spend two hours together sitting in director's chairs, waiting for his shot on the Today Show, chatting, chatting about his books, chatting about my kids, chatting about life, chat, 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 chat. And that's when I knew that just having that little thought, someday I want to tell him how much his work means to me. And I got it within like, I don't know, four months, three months. Mm -hmm. Amazing to me. That's an example. And thank you for that. Because for the audience, that's an example of being clear of what you want without being attached to it. Yeah. Right. And without the old me in 2006 would have figured out how do I make this happen? Right. And then if I, and if I couldn't figure it out and I would try to overwork it or do something. And now what you're, the story you're sharing is here's this thought and all of a sudden this opportunity happened 
And I love the boundary that you even established when you said, should I gush now or should I gush later? But maybe you didn't say should because you're the one that taught me not to use the word should. But. I know. I know. <laughs> I was young then. I was, it was 2004. I didn't know, but yeah, but, and he was so gracious. He was just a gracious, gentle, kind man. And it makes me now in going back to you reading the book, it, it like when you know that the spirit of the person who wrote that book mm-hmm. is not grasping, it's not, he didn't write that book thinking, now I'm going to have an empire. Mm-hmm. He thought, here's a book that can help folks. That's what gives me the tingles. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's I think, what keeps me going on the show is because of the people who are listening and who it helps. I can't yes. tell you how often I'll get you know, a message, or maybe I'll be on a call with somebody and they'll be, they'll say, you walked with me through my divorce. You walked with me through, you know, my mom's death. Like you helped me become this person and I had never met them, but it was the show, right? Like, and the the show is so intimate because it's in your ears typically. Right. Right. And so when I, when I, and I haven't wanted to quit in, I don't know, number of years. Since Wednesday. Yeah, maybe it was when I started bringing guests back on because I was like, what am I going to talk about? But when I go back and think about the why and the people and here's information for people and here's to know that they're not alone, right? Right. Like how valuable is that? That is a movement I think we've seen in the last 15 years is that, you know, and the studies show this, you know, people went from having whatever, four friends Mm -hmm. to having maybe one friend. Mm-hmm. And I think that one great thing about this podcast is that you are so warm and approachable and you are such in such service that people do feel like they're not alone. And that's a wonderful gift in this crazy world of ours, you know, that people don't feel so alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of loneliness. There is. There's a lot of loneliness. Well, thank you for that. That means a lot. You said something earlier that I want to tap into, and we only have a few minutes left, so we may- no, no, this is only part one. There'll <laughs> be part part one through part seventy five coming. Oh, like maybe we need to come back. But <laughs> talked about building relationships, and and I'm, you know I don't know if we can really do it justice, but if you can just tap into. Because I I do think like that loneliness, that what we really want is that deep connection. I was talking with a girlfriend this morning and we were talking about elementary school parties, you know, and I remember the busyness of life. And if you looked at the calendar, there was a lot going on. But on the inside, it was a lot of disconnection. How, How have you figured out how to cut through that and get the real connection? So... I lead by example, I guess, is what I would say, is that I raise a real, something real, right? So I don't just talk about the weather or, you know, something like silly, you know, whatever. I try to bring something real that's going on. And I feel like if I talk about something real, that kind of invites the other person to think about something real. You know, I don't know the quote off the top of my head. But that Marianne Williamson quote, you know, our greatest fear is Mm -hmm. not that we're too small, but it's that we're bigger. Mm -hmm. But the second half of that quote is the quote people don't think about. It's like when you let your light shine, Mm -hmm. you allow other people to let their light shine too. And so I think what it is, is I try to bring the realness, as they say on Pose, and I try to make a safe place for somebody to talk about 
you know, whatever's on their mind, even, you know, as friends, not just a client situation. Mm -hmm. So I do think that helps the coach training has really helped is because I also don't greet, you know, big news from a friend with like, please don't bring me into that because I don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. You know, I try to try to be a compassionate witness in all things. Mm -hmm. That's what I try to do. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. So the Marianne Williamson quote is in the podcast before this one, because it's so interesting that you said that is I had that printed. I used to have this purple folder that I would take with me to the station and I had the quote on one side and then on my show notes, like I would send to you, right? For the guest on the other. And I would read that quote grounded me every week when I went into the station. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And something you said to me made me think about our dear friend, Lori Foley. I remember one morning I called her, I dropped off my car and I was walking home and it was like seven in the morning. So I'm on Pacific. She lived in Atlanta. I'm like, who can I call? So I was like, I'll call Lori. And she answers and she's happy to hear from me. And she said, Hey, what's new? And I am grumpy. I'm like, I don't know how to answer that question. So people, (laughs) sometimes it's just nice. Like sometimes I think, I need help with just the small things of like how, you know, something, this is what I do as a coach. It's like that small stuff that we think we should know how to do. So I said this to her, I go, can you demonstrate to me how to answer this question? Cause I feel like my life is the same. I see clients, I have aqua monsters, they're swimming, there's clients, right? Like it's like groundhog's day. And she said to me, my cancer has come back. Mm -hmm. And I went, Oh, and so the whole time I was like, empathy, sympathy, empathy. Like back then I didn't have as clear cut, you know, and I knew I didn't want to provide sympathy because that wasn't going to help support her. And I was like, okay, I don't want to do this wrong. This is really vulnerable information, right? I don't remember quite what I said, but here's the beauty of our friendship is that probably an hour later we were talking and then I was vulnerable with her. And I said, here's what I was struggling with. And she said, Corinne, and I told you that information. The only people that know right now are my husband and my son and it's come back. And I've told you because I knew you would not make me responsible for your emotions. You would try to fix me. You know, I have doctors. You would just let me share this with you. Yeah. I mean, I have chills right now. That was such a teachable moment for a woman who was a fixer or let me take this pain away from you of that's such a beautiful boundary of here's some bad information that none of us wanted, right? Like in yourself, none of us wanted this. She didn't want this. And that it became so clear cut of how to be a good friend. Right. Right. It's funny that you mentioned her because I've been thinking about her all day. I don't know particularly why, but I have been thinking about her all day. And, and, you know, she was such a, a light and, and in her illness, she really did show so many of us, you know, ways to be mm-hmm. and kind of elevated my life and my experience. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming and helping oh me celebrate. <laughs> Anytime you ask me, the answer is going to be yes. So <laughs> I appreciate that. And I also understand I have so much gratitude because that is a huge privilege. And I, I just thank you, right? Like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for 15 years. I speak for all the people. Thank you for the 15 years. Thank you for not quitting. Thank you for continuing to show up and doing such great work. Thank you. Oh, my heart is full. So for those of you that may, this may be your first time knowing about Michelle Woodward, 
when she talked about President Ronald Reagan, she had worked in the White House back in the day for President Ronald Reagan. I remember when she got that call to be asked to help with his service. And then later on, she wound up helping with uh, former First Lady Nancy Reagan's service as well. Michelle is wise and gracious. And you know, when you have people in your life who will say something, and I think about all the conversations that we've either had on the air here or that we've had on phone calls or in person. And you heard me share with you all some of the the questions that she's asked or the resources and how they have stuck with me. And one of the things that I talk with my clients often about, especially with the idea of who we become and being the leader of our life and our own transformation is this idea of spiral learning. So often we want change to happen quickly and we've been taught a myth. It's like, we'll just learn it and then move on. But to really get it in our bones, there's a spiral learning that happens. And when I think about that book, when bad things happen to good people. And I think about where my mindset was and I was in such shock and such grief and it was a tremendous recommendation and I read it and I don't remember a whole lot about it except that I was very confused and thinking, but what's the answer? What's the answer? Right. And the, the big thing that I took away at that point is you can be a good person and bad things do happen. There's not a correlation of you being a good person and bad things never happening. And oftentimes I I say that's the fairy tale, right? We've been promised this, be good, be nice, be accommodating, you know, be accomplished, be successful, and then you're going to be safe, right? Be safe. And that's as a parent, like I just remember wanting to get through, you know, when they were young and babies and not get SIDS. And I thought, okay, once we get through this, I'll be safe and constantly wanting them to be safe. And, you know, I'm on many, many years, 28 years into this parenting gig. And there's always really what I was wanting was to not feel vulnerable, right? Uncertainty, emotional exposure, risk. And as a parent, it is a lifelong thing. And I've learned that. And what I've also realized and I've learned since I read that book is bad things do happen. It's not correlated to are you a good person or a bad person? I've really worked on eradicating good and bad from my vocabulary because there's so much shame around that. Am I the person that I want to be? You know, circling back to what Michelle said about values and priorities. And it was Michelle, I think, who first really introduced me to that, like the values. What are your values? You know, and isn't it interesting when she talked about how she works with with clients is she talks about values and strengths and character right? And priorities and how Harold Kushner's book, Rabbi Harold Kushner's book talked about character and what are you looking for? We get these nuggets of insights. We don't have to remember everything. What are the nuggets? What are the, and I used to call them takeaways on the show. And then how do you implement them in your life? How do you get them into your bones and live them? I love that she shared that she's curious and she's willing to try stuff. And the more that we can lean into that curiosity instead of that outcome-based determination of who we are, but, you know, lean into curiosity. And when I say outcome-based, like, oh, you're, you're going to fail, you're going to make mistakes, but the ability to circle back, right? The ability to learn. And I gave that example of my friend, Lori Foley, of an empathetic response. 
right? And I didn't know what I was doing. But fortunately, our relationship was such as it was where I could circle back in that conversation and she can give me feedback that to this day has stuck with me and has helped me be the receiver of difficult news that friends or clients are going through. And I want to just preface it because some of you may go, but yeah, but Corinne, you did it quote the right way. I really didn't know what I was doing. I was really trying to lead with empathy and not sympathy, something I used to do a ton of because that was what I had learned. But with that being said, there are many times that I screw it up and the ability to circle back and to clarify or to learn and redirect has been huge. So my own transformation has been huge with the show. So I thank you for being on this journey with me. It wasn't all for me. It was definitely for all of you. And then, but who I've become in this process of not quitting, even though there've been many times <laughs> that I've wanted to. So I hope that you enjoy that conversation with Michelle and she'll definitely be coming back. She's a good friend of myself and of the shows. And I know you all love her. I'm smiling big for you. Hey there, before we go, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to the show yet? This is an awesome opportunity for you to preserve your brain juice. I love the fact that I can subscribe to podcasts and television shows and they go straight to my iPhone or they go straight to my DVR and then I don't have to worry of, oh no, especially with television shows. Did I hit record? Is it going to be there? Or now do I have to watch it on demand and go through all the commercials? So go and hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes and that will ensure you that you never miss a show and you can also save your brain juice for other things in your life. There's way more important things, but you and I will still be connected because the show will be waiting for you in your phone. Go to the link in the show notes, subscribe to the show so you can automatically get all the shows to your phone. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.